When are we gonna talk about us? When are we gonna come together and clean up what we like? Do you wanna talk about us? Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About It on WERU FM. I'm Patricia McLean, founder and president of the Maine based nonprofit organization. Finding Our Voices, which is survivors of domestic abuse, including me, standing proud and speaking loud. I thought he would be punished somehow, but this man, like I said, he had no bail. He was released on his own recognizance. He was never in handcuffs. He was never in a police car, and he didn't get anything for it. I actually have a really hard time at night um, to this day because... Once the sun went down, there was always a chance something bad would happen. My guest today is Andy. The 24 guests on the previous episodes of my Let's Talk About It radio show on WERU-FM have all been women. But enough men have confided in me about growing up with violent fathers and stepfathers for me to know that there are men all around us, including those who are successful and outwardly confident, carrying a heavy toxic load from the trauma of experiencing, witnessing, and imagining horrific acts as children and teenagers in what should be the safe place of home. It is time to talk about that and also about how the main courts do not recognize and should recognize that abuse to the woman is abuse to the child. I am grateful to Andy for stepping up to have this conversation with me. Welcome, Andy. So Andy, thank you for joining me today. You're actually the first man that we've had on this show. There are so many men who are just walking around and have um, gone through this as a child, grew up in it. And I just think it's really important to um, get this get this conversation out there. And I know there's going to be a lot of people who who can relate. No, I completely agree with that. And um, could you just let me know why you decided that you are going to be are you going to do this? Well, I mean, I've always been really open to anyone that's willing to listen about anything and everything that I've gone through. But when it came to contacting you, my mother's been wrestling with her situation for quite a long time and it's she's gotten to an age where she doesn't want to have to deal with it anymore and I asked her if it'd be okay to try to contact someone on her behalf and took me a while to convince her to allow me to do that ended up doing that ended up having a conversation with you and you asked so here I am there's no secrets from me. So I don't see if my story can help one person. It's worth that's just that. And could you let me know what your earliest memory is? We're talking about your father, right? Mm-hmm. How long that you know that she's been with him for? Well, I'm 27. So 29 years, give or take a little bit. Do you have an earliest memory of him? of him Mm. uh i mean i have a few 
uh, the earliest memories of him predate the the bad ones that stuck. Interesting. Um, yeah. Honestly, when it comes to all of the um, memories from all the you know abuse and stuff, um, it was so frequent that there are few that are extremely vivid just because it was just recycled material. So how would you, would you just take a little time to just characterize what it was like growing up, what, what he was like, what the dynamic was and what, what was happening? It's really unfortunate because my father's an alcoholic and that's the, that's his biggest detriment. When he's sober, he, he although he's a very brash, crass person, sober, he's decent, relatively dignified, but it's, it's just the addiction that changes him. Um, my mother and I very frequently refer to him as, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because just once that's in him, it just changes him. And it's really unfortunate. Like I have a four-year-old son and I bring him around both my parents and I only do it during the day when I know that he's going to be sober for the fact that I want to preserve the relationship with my son and his grandparents, but I don't ever subject him to the potential of him being around him when he's intoxicated for that exact reason. Cause I know when he's good and I know when he's bad. Do you think that the drinking could be an excuse? It's definitely there. There's no excuse. There's no valid excuse for that behavior whatsoever. Um, it's definitely a crutch for him emotionally because he went through abuse with his father as well. Really, mm, really so multi generational. What do you know about the abuse that he went through with his father? Uh, so he has a brother as well. Uh, there was a lot of physical abuse. I I was never really told a whole lot of the stories because they're they can be quite bad. There there's one where I was told where um, my grandfather essentially was going to choke my uncle to death. And if it wasn't for their mother coming home, he would have died. Did your father tell you any of these stories? Um, bits and pieces, yes. A lot of it was, I used to live up in Orono and do, doing school and stuff. And when my son was an infant, we would be up there and I'd, I have a really good relationship with my grandfather. Um, over time, he's, at least from what I understand, completely removed that part of his life um, from you know the abuse. But when I would, you know, want to go see my grandfather or let him hang out with my son, my father would always be like, "Don't leave him alone with him." All these other things, and he'd try to give me incentive to not leave him alone. A lot of the stories that I've heard were from my grandmother. Are your grandmother and grandfather still together? No, they separated when my father was a teenager. Are you in touch with your grandmother? Yeah. Um, she's unfortunately um, in a nursing home because she has dementia. Your, and your grandmother has let you know how brutal he was? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, not, you know, no one's going to tell you every single story, but I, I know that she told my mother a lot of stories, 
but she never really told a whole lot to me, just a few. And especially reiterating, you know, he's not a good person. And to her, he definitely wasn't. But to you, you, do you you see any of that when you visit him or when you have been been visiting him? No. And it's a very interesting thing because he recognizes, my grandfather recognizes that he did a lot of very horrible things when my dad was growing up and to my grandmother. And he has written letters apologizing and he's told me the remorse that he has. I don't know whether or not if it's, you know, genuine or playing games or whatever, but it's not, it's not evident now. Is your father and grandfather close? Are they close? Um, there was a falling out when I was a kid and I wasn't allowed to see him for well over 10 years until I went to college and I went to college right essentially the town over where he lives and reconnected with him a little bit and over these past I don't know 10 years or so my dad has gotten older and has realized you know I'm holding these really bad grudges and you know my dad's only gonna be around for so long and I think he's gotten to the point where he's same thing with me and my father. He doesn't forgive, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't forgive. He doesn't forget, but still tries to have a relationship to the best of his ability. And he's trying to open up to having a relationship with his father. But just like between my father and I, the, the damage is there and it's a limited capacity. Did, did your father ever talk to you about how he's doing the same things that his father did? Is there an awareness of that? Um. He's not one to verbalize emotion, except for anger. <laughs> um, but I've, I obviously grew up with him, and I know his quirks, and I know he recognizes it. It's just he will never admit to it. Same thing with the addiction. He knows that he's dependent on a substance, but he won't ever acknowledge that he is. Well, when I asked you earlier if drinking was an excuse, I guess what I meant is that when I talk with women who've gotten out of domestic abuse, the Jekyll and Hyde thing comes up over and over again. So it comes up even if the guy's not drinking. So do you, do you think that it's the drinking that makes him that way? Or do you think he's just not a good person? Or do you, have you thought about that? That's something that I don't fully know, honestly. I mean, in my mind, Everyone has, you know, you know, you have that cartoon, you know, you have the devil and the angel on your shoulder. And it's the process of your own internal filter that chooses to side with the angel more than the demon. And I think for him, the alcohol changes his perception and changes his filter and makes it so he chooses the bad, you know, side of it versus anything else. That's not to say that anything is excusing it because it's not. And it's really unfortunate. And I think that when you go through abuse yourself, those voices are a lot louder and it's a lot harder to ignore them. I know that I've struggled with it with my son. I, I learned, I, I didn't learn how to properly manage my emotions. So it was a learning curve for me to understand how to 
deal with frustration in a healthy way. I had a really good example of how not to be, but not a very good example of how to be. So that gray area was hard for me, but I have the ability to, you know, reflect and be like, I'm breaking this generational crap right now, but it's hard. And it takes a really strong will and ability of self-reflection to be able to do that. And I don't think he ever possesses that. You said you've been in therapy, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Court appointed and uh, voluntary. But he has not, your father? Uh, Actually, court appointed. He had anger management, and I think he had to go to AA. Don't you think when the court appoints it is not the same thing as you wanting to do it? You already know the answer to that. What is your thought on court appointed, like batteries intervention and anger management and all that stuff? Just like any addict, you're not going to get better unless you want to get better. So it's just about checking a box rather than actually going to do the work. Because right now there's a big push with domestic violence that instead of jail, you know, they're going to give him batteries intervention. Yeah, that's not going to work. Um, so you, I think you, you said earlier that your earliest memories of your father, was that, is it, were you saying that they were of, uh, some good memories? Do you have any good memories of him? Oh, absolutely. And what, could you describe what he's like, what, the good memories of him, what that would be like? Um, uh, geez, how old? I was probably eight or so. Uh, he took me to the movies to see like Toy Story 2 and the movie theater was empty and we got to experience a matinee where it was just us in the movie theater. That's one of my really strong positive memories of him when I was growing up. He also taught me how to fish and a whole bunch of other things. But mind you, those good experiences, those good memories are all daytime memories. Oh. Was it definitely a day and night thing as far as good and bad or scary? And Absolutely. Absolutely. So was it, so I just imagine that when he starts drinking, you must've been so scared when he, when he starts to drink, cause you know, what's going to happen. Did that, did that happen? Um, he drinks every night and whenever first thing he gets home. So it's, it's, there's no countdown because it's immediate. And could you just give me a sense of what the abuse was? Primarily verbal and emotional. And as then there was always a threat of physical. And I guess it's, it's different for what he did to you and for what he did to your mother. Is, should we talk about each one separately? Sure. Actually, there's a pretty good transition about when I became 13, 14, 14. Um, so when I was younger and my mother's told me this story plenty of times, uh, we used to live in a trailer and my play area was right by like the living room area. And they would be standing literally one on either side of me screaming at each other. And I would be head down just playing with my toys like nothing was happening. So those really intense memories, I would imagine that my brain blocked them out. A lot of A lot of the experiences that I've had, it would be hard to recollect them because they were so frequent. You know, how how many of those memories can you really remember? But there are a few that really stick out. 
do you want to do you want to say what they are sure um i think i was in the living room at the time and he was in the hallway blocking her from leaving i don't know how she got around him but she did and she grabbed me and we went outside we start running to her vehicle he steps out there was a glass budweiser bottle on the deck that he kicked at us and it hit a tree next to us and shattered she is carrying me and runs me to the car puts me in the passenger seat closes the door and tells me to lock both doors i do that she runs over to the other side does the same thing he walks behind the vehicle puts his foot behind the back tire and is screaming at her to you know x y and z and she says you're gonna move because i'm gonna back up and i'm gonna back on your foot and he doesn't move so she backed onto his foot (laughs) and obviously he was in a lot of pain and she put it in drive got off his foot he grabbed his hands together and took his forearms and bashed in the back of her windshield and a couple hours later my dad calls talks to my mother and asks to talk to me on the phone talks to me and pretends like nothing happened Hmm. yeah that's kind of his mo is after something happens you don't talk about it you just forget about it and you just act like it never happened and did you feel like you had to do that did you feel like you had to act like it never happened well, it happened so frequently and no one talked about it. So kind of had to. And do you remember your mother not even talking about it with you? Um, that part, I couldn't tell you. I had a uh, aunt that was really good and her and I would talk about it. Uh, when my mother would go to work, uh, especially during the summers, I would go and hang out at my grandmother's with my aunt. She was... Um, paralyzed from the waist down so she lived at the house essentially and I spent a lot of time with her and she taught me a lot and she was a lot she was one of the people that I talked to a lot about it because she knew a lot of the details and there I've gone through some of my um, kids stuff like drawings things because she was really into art and I've found pictures of me drawing like my family and then my dad's over on the side and captioned the bad man. Yeah. Did anybody at school ever pick up on what was going on at home? Uh, I know that there are people that are aware of it. Uh, the extent of it, I don't know. Some of them, I don't know if they were aware of it or not until my dad got the cops called on him and he was removed from our home for a year. And I think I had therapy at the school too. I'm pretty sure I did. Again, there so so much happened that it's hard to pinpoint exact details all along the way. Did any? Did you ever tell any teacher or anybody at your school when you were a little boy about what was going on? Do you remember that? I don't think I did. Were you ever told that you were not to do that? Yeah, yeah. Primarily by my mom. She was scared that uh, if. Um, they, because teachers are obviously mandatory reporters, she was scared that if they knew that she wasn't leaving the situation that she'd take me from her. So what what would would your mother say to you? Do you remember? Uh, Pretty much essentially that. Like what? 
just saying, you know, keep this stuff between us. And she'd literally tell me because if the state finds out of what's going on, because DHS has been called before and my father came back home after the PFA was lifted, that the state would probably look at her pretty unfavorably and may take me from the home. Looking back, do you do you think that it would have been a good or bad thing if you were taken from the home? Um, I've never thought of that. It would have been hard on me to leave my mother, for sure. My mother and I are extremely close for many different reasons. You know, she's really the only parent that was the parent. Um, that and we went through so much together. I say it all the time. It's kind of like we're war buddies. War buddies. Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't have wanted to leave her, but it would have been good to have left the situation. If I was taken away from the house, she probably wouldn't have left. And then she would have to deal with the repercussions of being there alone and being blamed. You mean she, she you would have been taken from the house. She still wouldn't have left him. And probably then not. she she would have felt even worse, you mean? That and then my father would have probably blamed her. For you you leaving the house and then him getting into trouble. Yeah. So it could have gotten worse. It could have made it worse for her. Oh, absolutely. So did he like, did you did you see him hurt your mother physically? When I was really younger. Never punching or anything, but grabbing. And do you think worse things went on that you didn't see? Oh, absolutely. There are stories that my mother won't tell me about. I know that I shouldn't have been born. What do you mean? There, When she was pregnant with me, she was living at the trailer with him. And I, can't, I don't remember exactly how it led up to it, but he dragged her by her ankles down the hallway. And he was going for a length of rope. And she escaped the house and left. She won't tell me all the story, so I don't know all the details. What was he going to do with the rope? Do you know? I couldn't tell you. He is a felon. And his felony was battery, I believe. And he spent a year in jail? Uh, when he was in jail, I that was before I was born, so I don't know. It's before you were born. Was it to what he did to her? No, a different woman. So he beat up a different woman? Yeah. Do you, have you ever talked to that woman? No, I don't know her name. My mother won't tell me. Would you ever want to talk to her? I don't know. So he's a felon for that. Then he met your mother. And did he ever serve any jail time for what he did to your mother? No community service and yeah court appointed uh anger management and AA. there's a pfa so he wasn't allowed to live at the house um he lived at his grandmother's uh at his mother's my grandmother so what um, the, what happened what was the police court activity that happened that you said that i think you said that you and your mother were away from her for a year what happened there it was the only time that he put his hands on me they were arguing and I was in my bedroom 
And for some odd reason, he came into my room, tried to get me up, and he put his hands over my chest in an X shape and like put his weight on me or something along those lines. It happened all very quickly. Then my mother pulled him off me. At some point, I think I got into the argument. He came, he lunged after me, and I used my legs to push him away. And we went into, my mother and I went into the bathroom and locked the door. And the lock is one of those twist ones. And on the outside, it has like a little slit. So if you wanted to, you could take a coin and rotate it and unlock it. And he was trying to do that. And the door is so close to the vanity that if you just take the drawer and pull it out, it essentially locks the door. And I did that. And she called the cops and they came and arrested them. And then the rest is, you know, it was with between my mother and the cops. Hello, you are listening to Let's Talk About It, conversations with survivors of domestic abuse. With me, Patricia McLean, founder, president of Finding Our Voices, which is at findingourvoices.net. Let's return now to my conversation with Andy. But then some time followed when it was your mother and him and you without him. Mm-hmm. Like how long a time period? At least six months. I don't know if it was a full year. Did you miss your father? No. And were you, were you, do you remember hoping that she wouldn't go back or did you think she would? Or what, what was your thoughts about that? I wasn't dwelling on it. I was just enjoying the time with her. And what was it like without him around? The days weren't different. The nights were different. And how was that different in, in, in the nights? Do you remember? Just sitting around watching TV. And it was a different, it was very different not having, I guess, the fear. Or... Yeah, definitely. My father would always either drink in his vehicle and then come in before dinner time and then would happen. Or uh, we have a basement, and during the winter, he'd drink in the basement and stoke the stove. And then you'd hear his boots walking up the wooden steps, and you'd be like, oh, no, here it goes. But you didn't see anything physical. So what, what was the horror that, or the terror that was happening in the home when he was drunk? Oh, screaming. He'd call my mom every name under the sun. Um. He would scream so loudly and so intensely that is, you'd think that a blood vessel would burst in his face with how red it is. He would grit his teeth so hard that you you could hear it in other rooms and you'd think that his teeth would break. I mean, he'd, he'd slam on the walls, maybe stomp. It, there was always a constant, if this goes further, it's physical. It's interesting because my daughter said that she felt it was a matter of life or death a lot of times in the family, even though she had never seen anything, him do anything physical to me. And did you feel that life or death feeling as well? Oh, all all the time. When I got to be a teenager, when I was in high school, I had, I was just done with it. And my mother had dealt with it for so long that when they started to fight, I would instigate him and draw his attention away from my mother and draw it onto me. And unfortunately, uh, that it, it was really horrible for me when I was a teenager. 
because I because of that. It was his fault, but it was me redirecting it towards himself. Um, and he'd get nose to nose with me, screaming my face, gritting his teeth, knowing that in a split second it could go bad. And the older I got, the more th- verbal threats of violence I got. Like, I'm going to take you outside. And if you weren't, if you were just a year older, and he was very um, threatening about, uh, like, if I ever did alcohol or drugs, he told me that if he ever found out that I drank or did drugs, that he'd break my arms. He'd break your arms. Yeah. Or legs, whichever one. It doesn't really but what, what kind of like, how could you, he's drunk every night and he's telling you that? <laughs> because of the turmoil in my household. My mother was on edge all the time and she ended up accusing me of doing drugs a lot. She accused me of being anorexic. She accused me of being bulimic and she accused me of doing cocaine. And none of which were true. It was just, she was so stressed and she just took it out of me. So can we talk about your relationship with your mother? Sure. I think I asked you this before, but you, you do not resent her or truly like you do not, you're, are you angry in any way or upset with her for not leaving him? No, none whatsoever. She was victimized. She was scared out of the wits. I, when I was probably a junior in high school, uh, she asked me, she told me that she wanted to leave. And I asked her to not leave because I didn't want to have to choose and then deal with all the ramifications with that. I said, you know, once I'm done with high school, leave, please. But can you just wait until I'm done with high school? Because I don't want to have to deal with it getting worse. Cause I couldn't, I just could not handle that. That would be horrible. And you felt it would get worse if you left. Yeah. And then I'd have to start a new school because if I lived in town, I'd, it would have just been a nightmare. What, why did you think, it, tell me again why you thought it was going to get worse if she, if she left? Because any situation that ever was remotely close to her leaving escalated things horribly. So that's, that's so true. Like, you know, why didn't you leave? You know, like I knew that things would get worse. We know that things are going to get worse if we leave. Oh yeah. There was one time where we left. I don't know if it was supposed to be, you know, we're leaving or we were just getting the hell out of there. And we were driving uh, away. And then there's this little area where you can pull onto um, Route 1. And there are two different directions you can go. It sort of makes a Y shape. And we were going right. He went left, got onto Route 1 and came back around and pulled across the road. So we couldn't go forward. And like people were stopping traffic, like what the hell's going on? He got out and was screaming. So that was just, and I was probably, I don't know, 10, 11 or so when that happened. Um, But, you know, that's just, uh, that was a daytime example. (laughs) Did, did, what about friends? Like, what did, did friends come over to the house when you were growing up? Um, Like younger friends or like their friends? Your friends. Few, very few. I had a few really close friends that would come over. It got less so when I got older because things just got worse. Um, my father is a very antisocial person, so 
And he's also a very jealous person. So he never had friends over. And I don't think he really has any close friends because of the way that he acts. And because of that, my mother never had friends over. So I really didn't cultivate very many close relationships outside of school. Because for one, I wasn't really shown that it was an okay thing to do. And two, I didn't want to potentially show my friends the way that I live. Even though my friends, my close friends, know what was going on. How, how, did they, how did they know? Their parents. Tell me about your community. It's this fairly small community. Do you think everyone in the community knows about this guy? Everyone? No. Few? Yes. There's a there's someone at our local dump. She's really sweet. She's known me since I was a kid. And I talked to her probably, you know, just last month. And she asked me if my parents were still together. And I said, yeah, you know, they're still living together and all that other stuff. And she goes, well, I hope he's calmed down in his age. And she goes, you know, when you were a kid, you know, if she showed up to the dump and she had fresh bruises, you know, knew that things were going bad. And then she'd talk to her. Um, so there was physical, it just, I never really saw it. And it was more when I was a kid, kid. But, you know, there were people that were privy to what was going on. Maybe not all the details, but knew that there was something not right. So your mother has sometimes indicated to you that she does want to leave. But tell me what's going on with that, like the back and forth about that. How How's that playing out? Mm, how do you mean? Because you said to her, wait until I'm out of high school. So it's been a while since you've been out of high school. So has there been, <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's the story with that as far as the idea of her, of her leaving in those 10 years? Uh, she's never really been out on her own. When she had my brother, she had just finished high school and she lived with her grandmother, uh, with her mother. And while my brother was growing up, they essentially lived there. Um, and then once he was finishing high school, that's essentially when I was born. So there wasn't really any time where she has ever been independent and I know it scares her. She doesn't know how to go about and get an apartment. So she's terrified of doing that and she's very apprehensive about it because she's scared that she's going to try and fail. And then she's scared that someone's going to say, oh, didn't you know that she was trying to get an apartment? And then that's going to escalate into something. Everything's very hush-hush in our house. Um, if I go visit her, and even if he's out at work and I want to talk to her about something like this, she'll whisper it because she's afraid that there are microphones in the house. She's a paranoid person, but for good reason. Do you think there could be microphones in the house? No, he can barely turn on a computer. Well, when I was married, I was not allowed to be friends with a certain woman. My ex was in Australia. I knew he was in Australia because I see he's doing shows there and I could see in the paper right. that he was there. And I had a party at my house and I invited her. And then at the last, that day, I called her and said she couldn't come because I was, I thought there's some, somehow he's, He's going to see that she's there. It's so it's so absurd when I think about it now. There's no way, but that's it, right? You think of them as omnipresent, like they have this godlike abilities or something. It's do you think that that's true? And to some degree, they become inflated so that they're all powerful. Did you yeah, feel that he was all powerful when you were growing up? 
Um, I, I think that'd be a good way to characterize it. He's not a really big person, but he's stocky and very strong, especially when he's angry. So th- there was always the, I'm not going to deal with that because I know that that's a game that I'm not going to win. What was it like being a, because uh, I have a son and I'm just wondering, what is it like being a, a son in that situation? Did you feel that being a man or a boy that you had to protect your mother or what was going on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's essentially what I did. And I've carried that out through my adulthood and my adulthood relationships. And it's put me into, unfortunately, really unfortunate situations where I've stayed in relationships that were bad for me because I felt that I had to protect and I had to help. Um, and I had to, you know, do all these other things because it, it wasn't done for me. You feel that you've been, you've, that's carried on the way you have felt protective of your mother to women that you've met and you've met women that were not good for you, but you stayed with them because you Absolutely. wanted to protect them. 100%. And have you ever been in a relationship where you feel you've taken on some of the traits of your father to the detriment of the woman? Yes. Not necessarily targeted towards them, but recognizing that there were things that I hadn't worked through. And fortunately for me, having a partner that was understanding that I never had gone through them and helped me work through them. So unfortunate that they had to see that, but it was something that I worked through rather than you know, hitting an emotional brick wall. Um, so over time, I've been able to work through those things because I, you know, I, I got into my first serious relationship at the end of high school, and that lasted for quite a few years. And that person helped me grow as a person and deal with, okay, I have an anger problem because I never was shown how to process anger in the right way. It was never targeted towards her but it was targeted towards things that would frustrate me. Like I would be out lobstering and then my boat work, wouldn't work, right? And then I'd get all pissy and maybe like throw a bait bag or toss something and nothing healthy. And then having that be brought to my attention and actively working on it. And so, yeah, a lot of trying to just learn to unlearn things that I was shown as a kid and unlearning behavior is a lot harder than learning the right behavior growing up. Did you recognize that, that your father was the control? Was that like a big part of what he was controlling? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And I know that to an extent that's transmitted into my life. Um, you know, I, my mother uh, cleans for a living and she always kept our house neat. So I don't know how much of it is just being a normal person, like to keep things neat, but I'm very particular with this goes there, this goes there. And if it's not there, it bugs the living hell out of me. Um, so I think, and I've talked to their therapist about it before and, you know, being able to control the environment that you are in control of is an overcorrection for not being in control of your environment when you were growing up. Looking back, is there any insights? You just need someone. 
it doesn't matter who it is. It could be a friend, it could be a teacher, it could be the parent that you're, you know, commiserating with over the experience. You need to have someone that you can vent to and express what you're going through because there are so many people that go through these things and internalize it. When you internalize things, that's when it goes wrong. That's when the abuse turns into a pattern that goes through generations. I know from my experience, I had people that I could lean on and talk to and help process all these things and help show me that these things are not the right way and you need to be this kind of person. And the only reason that I can acknowledge my own faults is because I had other people to help me recognize that that's who I shouldn't emulate. So you can't change someone if they don't want to change themselves, but you can definitely control how much it affects you with the right people around you. You had your aunt. I had my aunt. Yeah. And And, who else? uh, Jeez. My aunt. I'm extremely close with a few of my uncles. Um, all on my mother's side. Um, I was obviously still very close with my mother. We'd talk about it a lot. Um, I mean, and I had therapists growing up, but I wasn't ever close to them. It was the family members that, you know, helped raise me, that helped show me, this is the way that you need to be. This is the right way of being things. They weren't perfect by any other means, but they knew that that was wrong and they helped show me that it was wrong. And can we just talk a little bit about your mother now? Like what, what are your fears for her? She's been pining to go off on her own for a very long time. And it's difficult to hear constantly say that she wants to do these things and never do them. It's sort of like the, you know, the boy that cried wolf story. You wish that it happens But in the back of your mind, you always say, it's just her blowing smoke again. But she never really had the resources to make the first step. And and she's always wanted to make that step, but never been super serious about it. But recently, she's gotten to a point in her life and with her older age, where she's recognizing that, you know, if I don't make a change now, this is going to be it for the rest of my life. And it scares her. And I know it does. How old is she? Uh, 66. Because I told you that Mary Lou in our, in our project left at 65 and I'd be Mary Lou. I mentioned this to Mary Lou and she'd be happy to be in touch with your mother. Yeah. Um, you, when, when you did leave, how old were you when you left home? 17. How did you feel about going to college and leaving your mom behind? Leaving my mom, um, I was sad about it and I was worried for her. Um, I was elated that I got to get out, but it worried me. But I, in the back of my mind, it was also somewhat of a relief because I was saying, all right, I'm not there tying her down anymore. Now she can make her step. But she never did. Has your is your father like your grandfather in that you think he's mellowed, or he's mellowing? He's not as bad as he used to be. I know that. Not to the same degree. 
my grandfather is in his 80s and my dad's in his 50s early 50s did you ever feel like you hated your father hate in the moment i don't hate him i hate a version of him he himself has his own demons and processing his own childhood drama in a very unhealthy way and it really saddens me to know that he never had the people around him to help him process these things he's a victim in that regard but he's also the victimizer because of the things that he's done i love him for when he's sober and the way that he treats me when he's sober and the way that he treats my my son when he's sober but the person that he is when he's an alcoholic, I, I hate to an unending degree. And the thing is, it's, it's damaged our relationship in such a bad way where we don't say we love each other, even though we both know him. The last time we said that to each other was a few years ago when my mother's mother passed away. It's funny, just the other weekend, my son and my father and I were all playing and I was giving my son a hug and my father was giving my son a hug and my son, I was holding him and he told my father to hug me and it had been years since he'd done that. I I genuinely cannot tell you the last time there was that like physical connection. I think it was when I graduated college, to be honest. So that's, yeah, about five years ago. Um, wow. <laughs> and I remember when I graduated college, it was very tense, awkward, weird. But when he did that with my son, it felt different. Very strange. Not as tense, not as foreign. But it just gives you a sense of there's that lack of connection because it was broken. You want your son to have a relationship with him? Yes. If he can have a healthy relationship, then yes. At least my father can have a healthy relationship with someone. Does he seem like he loves him a lot? Oh, absolutely. It's funny. (laughs) Once my son was born, there was a big step change in his behavior. And my son was a preemie too. Uh, And when he was born, I called him and I was like, do you want to come meet your grandson? And he was working and he works with a group of guys and I could hear him on the phone yell, you know, my grandson was born, I'm leaving. (laughs) And he ran to the hospital. We were down at Maine Med because he was a preemie. And he stopped and he got like a bag full of stuff because he knew that we needed it. Um, And he smokes cigarettes. He bought brand new clothes, took a shower, changed into those clothes because if he was going to meet my son for the first time, he didn't want any of that on him. He's very protective, extremely protective. It's very odd that since he's gotten older and he recognizes that it's his grandson, I think he recognizes that he needs to do things differently, at least for him, which is a very odd thing to witness. Does that make you sad for yourself? Uh, no, not really. 
um, that that ship that ship is sailed long ago. Um, there's no sense of looking back because there's nothing I can change about it. It makes me glad that maybe he's turning over a new leaf, at least with my son, where he can recognize that he's not going to repeat those behaviors in front of him. Although I, there have been times where he's been drunk and been less than decent around him. And I left with my son because I'm not going to expose him to that. Not even a little bit. Um, yeah. What does he drink? Bud Light. He'll do like a 12 pack. He used to do hard liquor. And my mother said that when he used to do hard alcohol, he was a lot worse. Yeah. My ex, when he would drink martinis, that was a whole other thing. I don't ever have any memories of him drinking hard alcohol when I was a kid. I think that was more of a, when I was an infant before I could actually understand what was going on. So I guess the last question for now, any, anybody who's out there, you know, a young person going through this with their parents and violence in the household, any advice? Well, for one, it's not advice, but it's not your fault. And it's not your responsibility to change them. It's your responsibility to survive. Thank you, Andy. If you have questions for me or for Andy or comments about our conversation, feel free to email me, Patricia McLean at hello at findingourvoices.net. Finding Our Voices is all about breaking the silence of domestic abuse boldly and creatively all over Maine. So collaborating with the documentary songwriting organization, Doc Song, also based in Maine, that is about bearing witness through music was a fabulous opportunity. Four of the survivor warriors in our group were matched with professional songwriters from all over the world connected to Doc Song to creatively express their journey into and out of terrorism by their intimate partner. It gives me great pleasure to share two of the songs that resulted. First is that warm feeling with Liz Cutler of Finding Our Voices, sung by Clara Schneid and Catherine Brunhaver from Oregon. When it shows Single day in my own.
And here is You've Got More Living to Do with Mary Lou Smith of Finding Our Voices and Susie Assam of Portland. Stay away all my pills. He came back with a gun. I was crying, I was scared, but I said, No, Mary Lou, you have more living to do. For more information about the nonprofit organization that bears witness through music, visit docsong.org. And if what everyone on this episode today was talking and singing about sounds familiar, if someone in your life is controlling you and making you afraid, or doing the same to someone you care about, say something. Trained advocates who understand it and believe you are available 24-7 through calling the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence hotline at 1-866-834-HELP. And you can see the photos of 40 Maine women, 18 to 81, who were trapped and now are free, and hear our stories, on the website of Finding Our Voices, which is at findingourvoices.net. And we also offer a number of sister-to-sister services. Talking about bearing witness through music. The music that opens and closes this radio show is by Roan Yellowthorn, aka my daughter Jackie McLean Strack and Sean Strack. And you can learn more about their indie pop duo at RoanYellowthorn.com. That's R O A N Y E L L O W T H O R N.com.
Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, love should feel good. It's been a long, long time. It's been a long, hard road. Finally, I am feeling sure of what I know. I try to speak my mind. Try to take it slow. Try it hard to find the place my heart wants me to go. Like